Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we're thankful for your goodness in allowing us this privilege to gather together on this, the Lord's Day, to worship you in truth and spirit. We pray, Father, that your spirit has prepared us this day for this time. Father, we pray that your spirit would guide us into all truth, for we know that all is vain unless your spirit comes. So we cry out to you, Father, for we know that we are totally dependent upon you working in our lives, giving us eyes to see the truth and to understand the truth. We pray, Father, that as we think upon this subject today that Christ addresses here in these verses pertaining to prayer and faith, that we might understand it so that we might rightly pray and have faith in God. We pray, Father, that as the gospel is preached throughout the world this day, that many would be brought into the kingdom of God, that eyes would be opened, that they might see their sinfulness, that they might see their need for a Savior, and that they would be drawn to Christ, the only one that can save. We pray, Father, for those that are unable to be with us this day, for those that are away. We pray that you would bless them as they worship with family and friends, give them safety as they return. We pray, Father, for those who might be ill, that your healing hand would be upon their body, that you would strengthen them and that they would testify of your goodness in their life so that they might return to worship We pray, Father, for those that are not here due to lack of concern for their own spiritual condition. Pray that you would work in their life and they would not forsake the assembling together of the brethren. Father, again, we thank you for your goodness and grace in allowing us together corporately this day to worship you. And we pray that all that would be said and done would be pleasing in your sight. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Take your Bibles again and turn to Mark chapter 11, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. Be reading from verse 20 to verse 24. Verse 20 through 24. Mark 11, verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look. The fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to him, Have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says." Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believing that you receive them and you will have them. Remember the setting. Jesus has gone to the temple and he has cleansed the temple. He has taught the people and he and his disciples have returned to Bethany again for the evening. The next day they get up and they head back to the temple And as they're heading back to the temple, they passed the fig tree that Jesus the day before had cursed. And Peter asked him there in verse 21, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. 
And Jesus spoke these words about prayer and faith to his disciples. Jesus, just the day before, had declared that the sacrificial system had passed away, that it was finished. In other words, the priest and the Levites needed to begin to look for another job. In 40 short years, the temple would be destroyed. They would be no longer needed. Now, the next few days of Jesus' life are stunning. What we see that is taking place this week from the Sunday where he entered into the city and the people were singing Hosanna and praising him and laying their garments before him till the end of the week is the most extraordinary week in history of the world. It is a time that Jesus stops and he says to his disciples here in these verses, have faith in God. Now, Jesus Christ is reminding his disciples of God's goodness. His goodness in allowing them to assess supernatural power that is available through prayer. Now, some may wonder, why in the world does Jesus teach this lesson at this particular time? Some think that it doesn't seem to fit. I mean, here they are heading back to Jerusalem, heading back to the temple... And Jesus begins to teach on prayer and faith. Well, the reason is because they needed to grasp, they needed to understand this truth. Because these disciples are about to face the most difficult days of their life. They needed to understand what it meant to be praying in faith. Because it would be vital to their future. Because soon Jesus would not be with them. He would ascend into heaven. He had been with them for three years. He had done all these things for them. And they would be left alone. He had provided everything that they need. He had provided provision, direction, protection, correction, and instruction to them for nearly three years. So what would they do when Jesus leaves this earth and ascends to the right hand of the Father? How would they access the power and the provisions in the future to be able to accomplish that which Jesus had been teaching them these three years that they were to be about the business doing after he ascended to the Father? So they needed to know that Jesus Christ would sustain them through the means of prayer and exercising faith. Now I want us to look at two truths that come from what Jesus says in these verses about prayer and faith. And how we are to reveal faith that we possess as Christians so that we might demonstrate our relationship to Christ just as they demonstrated their relationship to Christ. First of all, we must understand that faith that Jesus speaks of here is not the faith that many comprehend in their own mind. 
This passage is one of the most misunderstood and misused in the Bible. Jesus is pointing out how important it is to pray and use the gift of faith that God has given His children for His glory. When Jesus says, have faith in God, we need to understand what He means. Because many people don't understand what He means here. I mean, does Jesus mean that if we ask anything in faith, that whatever we pray for, whatever we want, that we will receive it? Isn't that what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14 when He says, And whatever you ask in My name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if you ask anything in My name, I will do it. Doesn't that mean that if you ask anything in the name of Jesus, that He will give it to you? You will receive it. Isn't that what it means? That's what a lot of people says it means. Derek Thomas, who was the teaching pastor at First Press and now is the pastor in South Carolina, tells about how when he first became a Christian, was a young man in college with many other young men. He said in that dorm that he lived in, there was about 400 men. And out of the 400 men, there was probably only three that had a car. Well, you know what happens when that happens. I mean, you're constantly being asked, can I borrow your car or will you take me to this place or that place? And he said, I got tired of doing that. He said, and after I read this verse in John about ask anything that you want and, and God will give it to me, give it to you. Then he said, I began to pray for a car. He said, I could see it in my mind. I just knew that God was going to give me a car because I had prayed just as this verse said, pray and you ask and you will receive it. I could see it in every morning. He said, I would get up and I would look out the window to see if it appeared. He said, I guess I just thought it was going to appear out of heaven and be right there in the parking lot. He said, but I kept waiting and waiting and it never appeared. God never gave me that car that I had so earnestly prayed for. There are a lot of people that believe like that. Many men have gathered large groups of people by telling them that God will make you rich if you will only believe, if you will only pray in faith. Or God will heal you if you will only believe and you only pray in faith. Or God will give you this or God will give you that if you only will pray in faith. Well, this passage is not a name it and claim it passage. It is not a babbit and grab it passage. It is not telling us that we will receive anything that we desire in the flesh. And it's so sad that many wolves in sheep clothing are feeding upon the most poor by stealing the little bit of money that they have so that they might continue to build their wealthy empire. This message is very appealing, especially to those in other countries. Brother Rusty can share that firsthand experience, and he'll be sharing with us 
the third Sunday of the month about being there in Senegal, but I've seen it per- firsthand, not only in Senegal, but other places in Africa where I have been, to where literally hundreds and thousands flock to hear this kind of teaching, and they're told that if you become a Christian, you will become rich, for God will give you whatever you ask for if you only have enough faith. I mean, but think about that. Think about how ridiculous that really is. What if I was to pray for two wives or even four? Now, somebody would say, well, you'd be foolish to pray for such. One's enough. But, I mean, we know that there is a clear teaching in Scripture that we are not to ask for certain things that God has said we're not to ask for in His revealed Word. I mean, that, as James tells us, is what? To ask amidst. So there's a clear teaching that are concrete when it comes to God's law. James says, if you ask and you do not receive, because you ask amidst and you may spend it on your own pleasure. Now, Jesus Christ is Lord. He knows what He's doing. He allows us the privilege to come before Him in the throne room with our prayers. And He tells us how we are to pray and what we are to pray for. And in this passage, Jesus describes how, from now on, His people are the real temple of God. The temple that is going to be destroyed, that which is made out of mortar and bricks, it's gone. You are the people of God. And as the people of God, you are to pray and live by faith in God. And the Holy Spirit and His Word will guide you even in your prayer life. That's the teaching that Jesus is giving to His disciples here in these verses. And this is essential that all Christians must understand in order to have communion with God and for their prayers to be answered. If we are not doing what God would have us to do, and we'll look at this more next week as we continue to discuss the subject of prayer that Jesus speaks of there in verses 25 and 20, I mean 25 and yeah, 26. But we see that Jesus is describing real Christianity and points out that there will be a community of people of all races, sex, age, and status that will come together in one accord and they will pray together and God will hear their prayers, as He says in Matthew eighteen twenty, For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. And we see this, of course, happen after Jesus ascended to the Father there in Acts chapter 2 when the people are gathered in one accord and we see Pentecost takes place. And then we see a little bit later there in Acts, again they are in one accord, they're praying and God hears their prayers and moves in a mighty way. Now the majority in all the different religions and denominations, cults and also called religious groups They say they have faith. But having faith and having faith in God is two different things. What is Jesus talking about when He says, have faith in God? He wasn't talking about faith in faith. 
or faith in oneself. That is what most of your TV evangelists are talking about, having faith in faith or faith in themselves. Jesus is teaching about faith in Him, in the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, I and my Father are one. He's already proclaimed this earlier to His disciples and taught them on this truth. And this is who they are to have faith in. They are to believe in Jesus Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. So this is the faith Jesus exalts. He had come from the Father into the world to save sinners who entrust their lives to Him. There is nothing in the world that you and I should desire more than a fervent relationship with Him. Nothing can trump Jesus Christ in our life. Our spouse, our children, our grandchildren, our jobs, our activities, our studies, our possessions, nothing is to trump Jesus Christ. He must be first. So when Jesus Christ says, have faith in God, that's what He's talking about. Him being first in your life and you look to Him for everything that you need. Knowing that He is able to provide what you need. Now He knows what you need better than you know what you need. So therefore when you go to Him in praise, sometimes you need to express that to Him. Lord, I don't really know what I need. I think this is what I need, but you know better than what I need. So Lord, help me in my prayer life. Help me to understand what I need. Help me to pray according to Your will. You turn your back on all the pleasures of this world and you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the beginning of a Christian relationship. And faith springs from that relationship with Christ. And here Jesus is teaching the disciples how this faith is to be revealed. This faith causes a person to pray in accordance to God's will, believing that God is able to to fulfill the promises that He's made in Scripture. Jesus isn't talking about some super Christian who's learned some kind of new technique as far as prayer is concerned. No, He is talking about your average Christian. He is addressing every believer. Some are weak. Some are strong. Some are in between. Every believer has the privilege of coming before God, approaching God boldly, as it says in Hebrews. How boldly? Well, look at what he says there in verse 23. For surely, some translations may say, verily, verily, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be moved and be cast into the sea, and do not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Now, do you see how encouraging a promise this is from Jesus? I mean, Jesus is saying to have an effectual prayer life, it requires trusting in God's power, trusting in His purpose, 
Trusting in God's plans. Trusting in God's promises. Trusting in His will. So prayer is focused on honoring God. Advancing His kingdom. Doing His will. Now most people don't look at prayer that way. But as Christians, we must look at God's prayer as that way. As this wonderful privilege to pray in that manner. Of focusing on Him, of focusing on His kingdom, of doing His will. Now all this involves believing. All of this involves having faith, which is a gift from God. Especially when we face an enormous mountain in our life. Now, I hope you realize that what Jesus is saying here is figuratively. Jesus is not speaking literally. You know, some people say, well, I take the Bible literally in everything that it says. Well, you have to take it literal when it is literal, and you have to take it figuratively when it's figurative. And this is figurative. Jesus is not saying that we must go out and pray that God will remove a hill or a mountain. No, what Jesus is pointing out here is that we must have such faith in God, a God that is able to move mountains. Can God move mountains? Yes, God can move mountains. Is God going to tell you and me to go pray that we might move to Smoky Mountains? No, He's not going to tell us that. Because that's not in accordance to His will or His word. Now, there are those who have led many others astray. And they've done much harm to their spirituality in misusing this verse... Because when that person prays and they don't receive what they prayed for, then that particular preacher tells them, well, you just didn't have enough faith. And they make them feel guilty and they make them feel useless as if they're not some kind of super Christian. But what grounds do we have to believe that our faith in God's power to remove any mountain will always remove it? I mean, show me there in the Bible that it says that. We must focus our prayers not on ourself, but instead on God's glory. If you focus your prayers on yourself, then don't expect a yes. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your prayers must always be focused upon God's glory. Now, it may be that God will answer that prayer according to His will and it will benefit you, but utmost it must bring glory to God. Because God is the one that laid that particular thing upon your heart to pray for. So Jesus is talking about this gift of faith. He's talking about our everyday normal devotion in exercising faith. I mean, consider His words there does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. So the man praying is to believe that what he says will happen. But this must be done in accordance to God's will. Don't misunderstand the verse. Don't misinterpret the verse. We have this faith as Christians that what God says will definitely happen. And this must put an end to all of our doubt as we pray. Jesus isn't saying that whenever we work up enough faith, it's going to happen. That's not what he's pointing out. 
Again, it is not faith in yourself. It is faith in the will of God. It's faith in the power of God. That's the foundation of our prayer life. Brian Borgman, who is a pastor that I often listen to in Nevada, you've heard me mention him before, shared that when he was in his teenage years and he had been listening to a TV evangelist on this particular verse, and of course he misinterpreted the verse, and he had received this information from the evangelist, and he likewise thought it was true. And one day he went to visit an elderly pastor that was a friend of his in his 90s, and he goes into this nursing home and begins to talk to this pastor whose name was Sam, who had pastored for over 60 years and now was in retirement and having to live in a nursing home. And as he was talking to this pastor, uh, the pastor said, you know, Brian, I, I really wish that I was not in this nursing home. And Brian said, well, Brother Sam, don't doubt. Pray. Believe. Take Jesus at his word. And the pastor smiled and, and nodded his head. He said, I know we have a great God. Able to do one of things. But, but don't doubt. That's what the scripture says. Don't doubt. And he looked at Brian and he said, Brian, you're so young and so dumb. And that's where a lot of people are. Some are not young. They're, they're old and dumb. I mean, we, they take a verse like this out of context. And again, they believe that whatever you say, whatever you pray, that God is going to answer it. No, when we pray, we must believe. There's no doubt about that. We must not doubt God. But we must believe that God can do what God says He will do. See, there's the catch. What God says He will do. We are not to be thinking, maybe this will happen, maybe it won't happen. The sad thing about it, that prayer is often the last ditch effort for many people. Well, I'm going to go to God now. I've tried everything else. No, it should be just vice versa. We should go to God first without doubt in our heart, praying that God would bring it about if it's in accordance to His will. I know that He does all things right. So therefore, I must be willing to submit to whatever He might do. Take, for example, what Paul says in Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As a Christian, we take that to the bank and put it in deposit guarantee. I mean, we know that we are not merely going to survive, we're not merely going to hang on, But we are more than conquerors. How do we know that? Because God's Word has told us that. We can believe it. We don't have to doubt it. We believe it because God said it and that settles it. So therefore, I'm not to doubt that truth. I know that I will never be separated from my God. 
So we are the object of God's love. Therefore, He watches over us. And ultimately, He will bring glory to Himself through our life. Satan's evil empire is unable to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. We know that. We are not to doubt that in our heart. This is truth. It happens to be seen throughout history. As we read the Bible, we see over and over again this truth. As we continue to look around today, we see this truth fulfilled. As we will continue to see this truth fulfilled until the ends of the world. Even little faith that is focused on God's truth will bring great blessings. Look at what Jesus says to the disciples in Luke chapter 17, verse 5 and 6. Uh, After Jesus speaks, the disciples say to him, or the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the root and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now again, Jesus is teaching on the same subject here. When the disciples asked him, Lord, increase our faith, he didn't give them the latest best-selling book on faith. Look at what Jesus says there. I mean, it's an amazing answer. He's speaking about even small faith in the truth brings great blessings. It is not the size of your faith that matters in the end. It's the size of your God. That matters. So a little faith in a great God can subdue kingdoms and obtain great promises. God is able to move mountains every day. And we rejoice in the great things that He has done. Now second, we must pray with anticipation. Look at what he says there in verse 24. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Listen to what John MacArthur says. Believers are called to pour out their heart before God in persistent, passionate prayer. But their prayers must always be qualified by the desire that His will, not yours, be done. Such prayers and knowledge that His will is greater, purer, wiser, more generous, more gracious, more merciful than anything that we could ever imagine. And how true that is. Again, the focus is on believing that God Himself has said it and that His promises are always going to be fulfilled. He is working all things out according to His will for His glory and the good of His people. We are to believe what God has promised. Don't doubt it. God will fulfill it. We are to ask Him for those things that He's promised us, believing without any doubt that we will receive them. You say, I need more grace. Pray for it. 
He's promised that He will give us more grace. His grace is sufficient. We're to pray for those things knowing that He will give it to us if we pray for them. When we face many trials in our Christian life, God promises to help us. Now, nowhere does He promise that we will go through this life and not have to face any trials. Nowhere does He promise us that we will have perfect convenience and our life will be pain-free lives. No, He's promised that you and I will go through difficult times. So why are we surprised when we have difficult times? He's already promised us that we will go through difficult times, right? So we shouldn't be surprised. But we should be prepared to pray when those difficult times come because He also says what? That He will provide us the strength when we have those difficult times. So we pray for the strength and He is able to give us the strength. Nowhere has He promised us that we will pass all of our exams, children, or that everyone that we pray for will be saved, or that you are going to be a millionaire, or that you're going to get married and that you're going to have children, or that you and your loved one will be healed from all diseases. He never has guaranteed that your life will be free from all sickness and pain and will always answer your prayers. I don't care what Joel Osteen says. He's lying to a lot of people. God's never promised us those things. Not just Joel Osteen. Many preceded him saying the same thing. Now we clearly see many examples in the Bible about these things. Numerous times in the Old Testament, God's saints had faith in God. Abraham, not only did he have faith when he carried Isaac to be sacrificed, knowing that God would provide a sacrifice, he had faith that God would provide, and he even had faith that even if he slew Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead, because he believed that God said, this is the son that will bring about a descendant more than the stars. Abraham had faith in leaving his family and friends, and by faith he trusted God and went to a new land. Abraham is referred to over a hundred times in the Old Testament and New Testament because he, we could say, is the father of faith. Listen to what one writer says. Paul chose Abraham as the finest example of men who is justified before God by faith apart from works. James refers to Abraham as a man who demonstrated his faith to men by his works. The writer Hebrews points to Abraham as an illustration of a man who walked by faith, devoted more space to him than any other individual in chapter 11. In Galatians 3, Paul wrote that Christians are the sons of Abraham by faith and therefore rightful heirs to the blessings promised. Abraham was a man of faith and prayed in faith. And because of his faith in God, God blessed him. Job endured hardship through great suffering. His faith was unwavering. 
Moses left the comforts of Egypt in faith and obeyed God in leading his people in the wilderness. What about the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego children? They were able to go into the fiery furnace. Not only did they not get burned or their hair singed, they didn't even smell like smoke when they came out of the fiery furnace. What about Daniel when he went into the lion's den? He expected God to deliver him. By faith, he went into the lion's den and was delivered from the mouth of the lions. Joshua, by faith, prayed and said, As far as me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. By faith, Israel marched around the city of Jericho one time for six days, and then on the seventh day they marched around it seven times. They blew the horn and they shouted, And what happened, children? The walls came tumbling down. By faith, Ruth made her stirring confession that she would worship the God of Naomi and serve Yahweh alone. By faith, David stood before the giant Goliath and slew him. By faith, Elijah prayed for rain after it had not rained for three and a half years. And what happened? It rained. These Old Testament saints prayed and had faith in God, and God delivered them each and every time. And in the New Testament, we see similar examples. There in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus asked the blind man, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And the blind man responded, Yes, Lord, and his sight was given to him. Jairus believed that Jesus was able to raise his daughter from the dead, and his faith was seen, and she was raised. When the centurion's servant was sick, He told Jesus simply to speak the words, not even to come to his house, just simply speak the words. And Jesus said, I say to you, I have not seen such great faith even in Israel. The woman with a blood issue for 12 years by faith reached out to touch the garment of Jesus and she was healed. But there are times that God does not grant His children their request. Even when they pray in faith and without doubt. We see that when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane and He looked into that cup and He prayed that if there was some other way of salvation to be obtained, that that cup might be removed. He prayed with earnestness, deep earnestness, with strong cries and tears, with sweat of drops of blood. Yea, the Father answered, and His answer was no. There was no other way, no other cup. We also see that Paul prayed three times that that thorn in the flesh might be removed He prayed in faith. He prayed not doubting that God was able. He believed that God had the power and that it was His will. But again, the answer was no. And God said, my grace is sufficient. Hebrews 11 is full of believers who believed in God and trusted in His word. 
But how were their prayers answered? Well, we see that some of them were answered positively as we already looked at. Some, the mouth of lions, the quince, the fiery furnace. Others became powerful in battle. Women received their dead back to life. All was a result of true faith and believing faith. But others who believed and prayed in faith in the same way received a different answer. Some were tortured Others flogged, others put in chain, others put in prison, stoned and sawed in half. They were put to death by their sword, they were destitute, they wandered around without homes, living in caves. All these believed and trusted in God. All knew that God said that He was able to deliver them, but God chose not to deliver them in these circumstances. God answers. For some were miraculous deliverance. For others, it was that they would have to bear a cross like Christ bared a cross. Jeff Thomas said, There's no technique in prayer that can deliver us from a cross. Faith is fixing your eyes on Jesus. Struggling against sin. Being aware of God's discipline, enduring hardship and inconvenience. So we are to pray believing. And we are to pray anticipating what we get will be the will of God. Do you see that trusting God is not merely some abstract, Theological, systematic theology. No, it is personal. It is practical. The Lord Jesus Christ has promised those who love Him. Truly I say to you, He says there in verse 23. I mean, when we are confronted with some overwhelming issue in our lives that seem apparently humanly impossible, no human solution, we can go to God in faith without doubt about what God is able to do, knowing that He will answer us. He may answer us, yes. He may answer us, no. He may answer us, wait. But He will answer us. Now, I must admit, there's been times that I have been faithful in this, and there's been times when I have not been faithful in applying these verses correctly. As we struggled in seeking to know what Lord would have us to do as a church, I did not want to go in debt. If you know me, and some of you do, you know how much I hate debt. But yet I knew that we had to have a facility that would hold us as a congregation. And there were nights and days that I prayed, Lord, you know my heart. And Lord, I don't know how we'll be able to do this. And I don't want to leave this church in debt for 15 years. I don't know how much longer you're going to allow me to be the pastor. But that's a long time. And I struggled and I prayed 
And I'll never forget that day when at the door Alex said, you know Castlewood's going to be giving their building away. I said, no, I didn't. He said, well, they've offered it to a church. And I kind of, oh me. <laughs> Who would turn a building down? They're probably going to have it. But I began to pray, Lord, if it's your will. I'm praying in faith. I know you're powerful. I know you're able to do great and mighty things. I know it's a far-fetched idea. But you're a great God. And I can say the rest is history. Now, I'm not saying I was full of faith. There were days I doubted. None of our faith is perfect. Because we're not perfect. It's always mixed with a little bit of doubt. But even weak faith... When we pray in the person and the power of God is enough to draw down heaven's power. Listen to what John MacArthur says again. The faith required to activate God's power need not be great faith. Peter's faith was strong enough to enable him to climb out of the boat in the midst of a raging storm on the Sea of Galilee. Yet his faith failed before he reached the Lord Jesus, causing the Lord to label it little faith. I must say that probably the majority of my time, I've had little faith, not strong faith. The question is, do you have any faith? Do you have the faith that Jesus speaks of here? Have you received the gift of God because faith, this faith that we're talking about is a gift of God to where you have placed your trust in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. To know by faith you know that your sins are forgiven. By faith you know that you have been accepted by Jesus Christ, by your heavenly Father, because you are in Christ. You have the righteousness of Christ. For you know that your righteousness is as filthy rags, so therefore you know that you have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ and He accepts you because of that, not because of anything that you've done. Do you have that kind of faith? That you know without a shadow of doubt in your mind that if you stood before the Lord this day, He would say, Welcome, come into my home and live with me eternally. Because you know that He has saved you from your sins. That faith is saving faith. That faith is what enables you to pray in this manner without doubt. Believing that those things he has said will come to pass. He will have what he says. Do you have that kind of faith? If not, may God grant it to you this day. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you for these words of our Lord and Savior. We thank you, Father, that you have not left us to ourselves, but you have given us your spirit and you have given us your word so that we might know the truth and so that we might live the truth out. And we pray, Father, that if we are your children, that we might put this faith into action each and every day of our life. Cause us, Father, to look to Thee, to look to Christ, for He is our only hope. He is our Savior. He is the Lord who is able to forgive, who is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, who has promised us an eternal home. So we pray, Father, that we would trust in God. And this we pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.